I was told uh, earlier this week by somebody that I'm nuts. Actually, that happens all the time, but specifically this person said that I was nuts for wanting to be involved in youth ministry. Um, I've actually been told that more than once. I've been told that a few times by people who, who t- when I tell them what I do or whatever, they, they, sometimes it's from a friend, sometimes it's a family member, sometimes it's you know, somebody I'm just meeting for the first time, but um, the response is, man, that's crazy. Are you serious? I mean, it's, you know, it's funny. They, 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 I think it basically comes from the fact that they look at you know, those I work with, the clientele, if you will, and they see a bunch of, of uh, moody, somewhat self-obsessed, Obsessed, highly energetic, uh, often highly caffeinated uh, people who are kind of in this weird stage of life where they're not really kids any longer, but they're not really considered grown-ups either. Uh, where they're constantly, you know, starting to want to test authority, wanting to test all the ideas that they've been taught. Um, these people look at me, look at that, and they go, uh-uh. No way. I would never do that. You've got to be crazy to, to get into something like that. And it's funny because it got me thinking about, uh, you know, a couple of things. One, they're probably right. No. Um, what it actually got me thinking about, though, was, was what, what I would consider to be a crazy uh, job. You know, what, what I would consider to be a job that you've got to be nuts to do. Um, you guys know what I'm talking about? Any kind of jobs that, that come to your mind? The job where, where you look at this person and what they're doing and, and you go, oh, oh, yeah, he's not all there. He clearly is not all there. There's no way. Um, Perfect example, rodeo clown. (laughs) Right? Rodeo clown. What? I'm sorry, but what's going on here? You've got a 1,200-pound bull, and you're jumping in there, not with a weapon, not with a cattle prod, basically just this outfit that really, to be honest, you know, even a happy guy would probably want to hit you. Um, (laughs) What's, you know, what what kind of an insane person wants to get in, in that kind of thing? Another one that I was thinking of, lumberjack. Lumberjack, right? I actually read the, this week that that is the, the most dangerous job in America, is a lumberjack, the, the, those who work with, with lumber, that, that um, you know, per worker, they have the highest mortality rate, the highest death rate in their field and uh, in their job. And, you know, you think about it, you've got these gigantic electric saws, you know, and trees falling from who knows where every so often, and you know, it just, it's a very crazy uh, kind of thing. So, any, any other jobs you guys can think of or, or that come to your mind? A, a, a job that you just say, wow, you got to check your, your guys, sanity you at the door. Tension, climb up on giant poles and work okay, yeah. IRS agent, yeah, test pilot, a couple that I was thinking of, one is kind of like this, I was, I, was, I was thinking about this, how about a experimental parachute tester, I, I, I'm not kidding, I actually looked this up, I checked this out online, and there are, there are literally guys who do this, I found a, an article about uh, a squadron over at Edwards Air Force Base, where is Edwards, is it nearby, okay, Guys, there's a, there's a squadron at Edwards Air Force Base, 418th Squadron. That, this is their job, to jump out of airplanes, sometimes from as high as 15,000 to 20,000 feet in the air, right, with parachutes that basically their bosses just want to make sure are actually going to open. 
that's their job. That's what they do. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there going, and what cracked me up about it was, was I read that, um, you know, in, the, in this article I read, there was actually this quote that said, it takes a special kind of person to be a test parachutist. <laughs> and I thought, well, yeah. Um, another one that came to my mind. You okay? Am I back on? Another one that came to my mind. Yeah. Wow. Oh, they do. Okay. So they're not completely insane, just sort of insane. My bad. Yeah. Hey, we're back on. Good. Now I got my hands back. Um, Another, just one other that I thought of um, that came on my mind, shark suit tester. <laughs> now, go with me on this for a second. Have you thought about this? The shark suit, you know, the thing where you can go in and, and the sharks won't hurt you? Somebody had to, 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 to make that and someone had to test it, right? I mean, imagine, come on up for a sec. You know, imagine I'm the inventor and, and I, come to, I come to Sean here. Sean, all right, you got the suit on, you look good. I think it fits pretty well now. What I got here is, I got a pool of sharks, right. okay? And we've been working for the last couple of days on making them really hungry and really angry, okay? Now, what I want you to do, we're going to lower you in there, okay? And what I want you to do is just kind of, uh, you know, let us know how bad it hurts when they bite you, okay? okay? It's insane. I mean, but, but I don't know. I, I, this is just my guess, but, but along those lines, you have to be... Semi nut. Uh oh, I'm going to get yelled at about this. Is that not how they tested it? Ah, you have to be a little nuts to be a parent? All right, all right. Well, look, while we're talking about nutso people, people that are kind of walking that line between sanity and right, kind of that, that other side of things, um, what I'd like to have you do this morning is turn with me in your Bibles to um, Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, and what we're going to encounter this morning is an old preacher, a weathered, beaten down apostle by the name of Paul, who has called some of his old friends together, a group of people that he cares a lot about, and he's called them together to kind of give a little ministry moment, if you will, to kind of give them an update on what he's been doing and where he's going in from here in his service to the Lord. Um, We'll go ahead and look at Acts 20. Uh, let's start at verse, let's get, start verse 17. It says, From Miletus, Paul, he, Paul sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the, Ephesus, of the Ephesian church. And when they had come to him, let's stop right there for a sec. Keep in mind something here. Basically, this is Paul on his travels, kind of taking a detour for a sec, stopping and calling these people, these Ephesians. Now, these aren't just any people to Paul. Um, if you look back in Acts, you know that Paul spent a couple years in Ephesians. He spent more, like at least two years building the church, taking these elders, these men that, that he's going to meet with, and, and training them, helping them build the church. Right? So this is, this is an important group to Paul, and he, and he wants to talk to them. So look at verse 18 here. It says, You yourselves know, this is him speaking to them, You yourselves know that from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time. 
I was with you the whole time. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from ho- and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Basically, Paul starts out this talk with these guys this, by reminding them kind of of his previous service in their midst, the way he carried himself, the trials and difficulties that he had gone through, uh, what he had taught about, what, what he basically made his ministry about while he was with them. And after this, though, he, he, the next, where he goes with this, it kind of takes an interesting turn. If you look at me, the next verse, couple of verses, 22 and 23, look what it says. And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Now, if we could just stop right there for a sec, knowing what we just read, and kind of push pause, right? And consider for a second what must have been going through the minds of some of these Ephesian men as they heard this. This is Paul. This is their buddy. This is, this is a man they love dearly. What would have been going through their minds as Paul was speaking in this, in this way, talking about his plans? Okay, you know what I think is even funnier is, a little thought experiment, what if we could transplant this, this whole scenario to now, to modern day? Pretend that Paul is speaking to modern evangelical church Christians, right? He's got a group of people around him that, that, that care about him, that love him from our day, from our time, from our society here in America. What do you think a response would, to Paul's plan would be in that case? That's exactly what my wife said when I asked her that last night. Well, are you nuts, right? Paul, are you kidding me? There's no way we're letting you go. Paul, have you thought about your mother? She's worried sick about you. I think that's kind of fun to think about that the Apostle Paul actually had a mother. Have any of you ever really kind of thought about that? This guy, you know, he can write in profound, deep things of truth, but there was still a woman who could make him, you know, take out the trash or, or take his feet off the coffee table. But anyways, yeah, the idea is there's no way. Paul, we're not, letting, we're not letting you go. Now why? Why is that? Why is that 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 would be the response? Why do you think that's the response? Who said fear? Fear. Okay. Let's, 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 try, let's look at it this way. This is his plan. Okay? Let's see if we can get this. I'm going to head to Jerusalem. God's telling me to go. On the docket for me. Trouble? Definitely. Persecution more than likely. I'm probably going to have a good... What are we doing here? Pain and suffering, probably. Death? Certainly a possibility. But you know what? I'm going anyways. Right? <laughs> This is, this flies in the face of our culture. This flies in the face of, of what, we, what we here in America, I mean, pretty much worldwide, adopt, which is kind of this idea of the average human being, Paul, kind of has this eh, quirky little tendency to want to avoid the sorts of situations that could lead to your demise. Uh, rodeo clowns and, and test parachutists aside, most people do what they can to preserve their life, not try to go into situations where they can throw it away. Right? 
by most societal human standards, what Paul's talking about here is, is just nuts. It's, if you want to be a little more severe in our language, what Paul is seeking to engage in here really could, you know, by many people be considered just utter foolishness. It's, it's being wasteful with the precious gift that is life. Or is it? Or is it? You see, I think this is a, an important key question that we have to ask and, and, and what we want to talk about this morning. Is Paul nuts? Is he being irresponsible with his life here? Is he, is he just off his rocker? Or is there something else to be considered here? Is there another factor, another part of the story? Is there another piece to the puzzle? Is it possible that maybe Paul is on to something that, that, that the average person isn't? about this life? Is it possible that what Paul is bringing here, this foolishness, this wastefulness, is actually what we could sure use a lot more of in the evangelical church today? Let me have you look at verse 24, and I, and I think we get an idea of what I'm, where I'm going for with this. If you look at verse 24, it says this, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, in order that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. When you combine this verse with the verses previously before it, 22 and 23, suddenly we see and understand something. That Paul is not entering into this haphazardly. Paul has not gone into this without any thought about what lies ahead. Paul was not a masochist. He didn't, not a dude with a death wish. Paul was a man who simply as a follower of Christ, had an ability to see, to understand, and to actually put into practice, put into application in his life, a couple of very important truths. The first one being this. We are not our own. We are not our own. Look at verse 24 again. It says, But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. This, this phrase, dear to myself, in the Greek, it's, it's actually the, the, the Greek word timeo. And it speaks to the idea of, of holding something precious, of holding it in high honor, high regard. Um, it's used to talk about, at one point it's talked about in Peter as it, referring to the blood of Christ, the precious blood of Christ. It's used elsewhere by the author of Hebrews when he talks about the marriage bed being held in high honor, high regard, high, being held with preciousness. That's, that's what's being given here. That's what's kind of the word that's being used here. And it's essentially Paul suggesting that our lives, as, as followers of Christ, our lives are not to be held in that manner. That while they are precious in the Lord's sight, they are ultimately the Lord's. Scriptures that back this up, Psalm 100.3, know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Paul also talks about in, in 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that you are not your own? You were bought at a price. Peter talks about the fact, knowing that you have not been redeemed or bought with perishable things, like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited by your forefathers, but with the precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. See, what Paul is essentially suggesting here is we are not our own. And as a flip side to Paul being nuts, 
you could actually, I guess, make the case that the real, dear, the real dear deal here is if you want to be foolish, if you want to be wasteful, if you want to go ahead and, and waste your life, then simply do the opposite of what Paul did and cling to your life. Cling to it. Hold on to it like there's no tomorrow. Yeah, choose to believe that there's a creator, that someone who created you, but understand that this life is given to you. It's yours. It's yours to command. It's yours to direct. If you do this, you certainly will not be alone in our world. Amen? This is certainly not a, a, a view that's going to hold a lot of challenge for most people. There's not going to be a lot of argument with them. But according to what Paul is telling us, to, to do that, to cling to this life, to suggest that this is somehow ours to hold, is to live in folly, is to live with a false conception of the truth. Paul understood this, and that is why he was able to say, I, I, I do not hold my life as dear to myself. He understood whose he was. He understood why he had been given life. In addition to this, he also served, understood a second truth that we see in Acts 24. It said, he understood that we've been given a course, that God has placed us on a course, and he has entrusted us with a special task. Again, look at verse 24. I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Now for Paul, this calling was clearly, clearly unmistakable. If you look back in a couple chapters, Acts 9, so forth, following, the road to Damascus, Right? Paul's calling was pretty clear. <laughs> he did, we, most of us wouldn't have gotten the same kind of calling, a, 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 a peering of the Lord from, from the sky, a blindingness to ourselves, you know, days and wandering in blackness while we waited to figure out what God was going to do with us, what he was going to do. Paul, th- this whole thing, it, it's kind of hard to forget what he went through. It's kind of hard to mistake the calling he had on his life. But what about us? Does our call... To testify, do, do we have such a call to solemnly testify? Do we? Where do we, where do we get this idea? Great commission, right? Jesus, on his, on his way up to heaven before he left, commissioned us, go and make disciples, right? You have been given a call to go, go out and make disciples, right? And what I like about this is, what I think is great is, is you know, so many Christians, so many people out there, what's your response? Well, I'm no preacher. Look, I work a nine-to-five job. I just try and earn a living. I'm no preacher. What do you expect? What, do you want me to quit my job and you know, go move off to Africa? What do you want? I'm no preacher. What I like about that is, is the fact that Paul uses the word here, and, and often we see that word, this word used, testify. Testify. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. You see, a witness, a testifier, doesn't have to be a preacher. Doesn't have to be somebody who has it all together and knows all the answers. A witness is somebody who just tells what they know, who tells what they saw, tells what has gone on according to their story. And folks, that is, that is our call. That is, that is what the call is on all of us, to be witnesses of Christ. This is very simple. It's simply a question of saying, what has Christ done for you? What can you testify about how the Lord has worked in your life? We sing about the amazing grace, the amazing love. How can we testify and share that with others? 
How can we share what God has done in our lives, the power He's infused in, in our day-to-day, the joy He's given us, all these sorts of things that are ours in Christ. That is what we testify about. And what's exciting to me is that the one who embarks on this call to testify, to, to go after this, is embarking on something that has much more value than just an earthly, somewhat tentative value. It lasts on into eternity. What, this, what, what, we, have, what we have here in this call, what we've been called to, is, is something that goes on and on and on. There's a clip uh, that I'm going to show real quick from a movie. Uh, it's a movie called Schindler's List. I'm sure some of you have seen it. It's an intense movie. Um, but there's a clip in here that I think really speaks a, a good message about this idea uh, in a kind of a roundabout way. See, Oskar Schindler was a, was a German who, uh, during the World War II, was essentially had a heart to rescue Jews, had a heart to, to try to save those who were going to, into the uh, concentration camps, those who were being exterminated. Schindler had a, had a heart to try to pull some out, to try to rescue as many as he could. In the end, he was able to save over 1,100 Jews. What I'm going to show you is, is right at the end of the story when essentially the war is over and he has been uh, you know, given the call that he's got to run. He's, he's going to be a, a hunted man, and so he's going to flee. And this is kind of his goodbye to all those Jews that he has, he has rescued. I'm going to show this clip. Just take a, take a look at it.
gold. Two more people. You would have given me two for it. At least one. You would have given me one. One more. One more person. I could have got one more person, and I didn't. And I didn't. <laughs> you could hear that if you understood it, but of course, you know, what he was pointing out was, as he stood before these people, that car could have saved ten. Could have saved ten more if I just sold that. This, this gold pendant, two more. Every time I see this clip, it gives me a, a sobering feeling and reminds me of how much I want at the end of my life to not have to say that. To not say, I, I could have done more. I wasted so much. So much that I did that didn't go towards things that matter. For Oscar Schindler, it was people. Same is true for us. What are we investing ourselves in? What are we spending our time pursuing? And is that really going to last? If Paul's right and, and we have this task we've been entrusted with, then if you want to live a wasted life, simply ignore it. Simply choose to, to just forget about it. Let it go on. Let, leave that for the other Christians. Live for whatever this world offers. Live for whatever pleasures, appetites you, you hunger for. That's, a, way to, that's a, a surefire way to be wasting your life. Again, you won't be alone. You, got, you have a crowd full of people following you right down a road of this but you'll be wasting. John Piper tells a story, uh, or kind of in, his, in his book I read, tells a story of two women who were in their 80s who went to the mission field and were killed. They, they were traveling from one village to another and their car somehow drove off of a cliff and they died. And he asks in the book, he says, is that a tragedy? Is it a tragedy? Tragedy. So many in, the, in our world would say, oh, what a, what a sad thing, what a tragedy. Piper says, no, that is not a tragedy. That is glory. Two women, well into their 80s, recognizing that they still had something to contribute. He said, you want to know what a tragedy is? He said, a tragedy would have been these two women retiring, moving to Florida, living the good life of walking on the beach, picking up seashells until the day they died. It says, there, my folks, my friends, is the tragedy. Because his point is, at the end, when they stand before the Lord, what are they going to say? Look at my shells? Yeah, I don't really have anything that, that lasts an eternity, but, I, but I, I found these great shells. Folks, live for those things that are going to last. Live for those things that will weigh into eternity. 
And then you can truly say you did not waste the life you've been given. We have Missions Week coming up this next Sunday. Missions Emphasis Sunday. Pastor Matt will be giving the the message on on the supremacy of God and missions and how God plays into that and how we play into that. I would ask that you would take this week and seriously devote yourself to asking what God would have you do with what we've talked about this morning, what we'll be talking about next week. Ask God, what would he have you do? In what ways do you need to shift things around? In what ways do you need to stop wasting and start living for the Lord? That would be my call. That would be my challenge to you, is, is to, to devote that, yourselves to that prayer this week, to ask the Lord, Lord, what would you have me do? How would you want me to serve you? What's your call for me? Father, I just pray that you would lead us this morning, that you would give us the mind of Paul as he spoke to the Ephesians here, that we would not consider our lives as dear, that we wouldn't cling to them. We'd hold them up in in our hands to you and say, they're yours, Lord. Take and do what you will. And God, give us a passion like Paul had for for this task, this, this race that you've called us to run, to testify of your grace. I know so often in my life, I shirk from that. I find other things to do. But God, clearly nothing is more important. Clearly nothing is, is going to weigh into eternity more than, than seeing ourselves reaching others and, and carrying souls with us into eternity uh, with you. And so I pray that you would just give us a heart for this, Father. Help us not to waste our lives. Let none of us say at the end that we wasted it. We pray all this in your son's wonderful name. Amen. I believe that's it. Y'all are out of here. See you next Sunday. Have a great day. Heart. You know, my youngest daughter and her husband in Indonesia.